0: It's so good to be with you, Uh, really good to be with those of you in the room, also really good to be with those of you watching at home. Uh, My name's Rich, and Jesus has changed my life. Uh, Yes, I (laughs) have And I know that's a bit of an unusual way to start, but actually, if you'd asked my parents in my teenage years, or if you'd asked my friends in my university years, what will Rich Horn grow up to be, none of them would have said he'll be in full-time ministry in the church. It's true. Um, I, it's not that I have a, an amazing testimony of being freed from any obvious addiction or from gang warfare or anything like that. I grew up in a very happy Christian home, very loving parents, went to church most Sundays. But this was not the trajectory of my life. This was not where things were headed. But then I really encountered Jesus and Jesus changed me. And he's still changing me. He's changed my understanding of my own identity. He's changed my sense of purpose in life. He's changed the way I see my past and the way I see my present and the way I see my future. Jesus is alive. And the reason I start like this is because when we talk about encounters with Jesus, this is not some history lesson. As Addie said last week, it's not that Jesus met with people 2,000 years ago, and we're still clinging to those stories today. It's that Jesus Christ is risen, that he walked away from the grave, and he's still changing lives today. Amen? Amen. Amen. And you know, whatever you're going through right now, whether you're going through a great time, a time of celebration, a time of great joy right now, Or whether you're going through a really tough time right now, a time of hardship, actually encounters with Jesus are what you need. More than anything else, you need greater revelation of Jesus Christ. I need greater revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why we worship. It's why we preach. It's why we're looking at this series, to get greater revelation of Jesus. So let's get into Scripture. God speaks to us through his word. We're in John chapter 9 this morning. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open that. Um, and to stay in it. We're going to stay largely in that passage. If you don't have a Bible, that's no problem at all. The words will be um, on the screen behind me. And what you'll see is that this story takes up the whole of chapter 9 of John's Gospel. So I'm not going to read the whole thing up front. I'm going to read the first seven verses, then I'll read the last seven verses, and we'll fill in what happens in between as we unpack this story. So John 9, from verse 1, says this. As he went along, so as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. And then from verse 35 onwards. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see And those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, it's a living word. I thank you that uh, you speak to us through your word today. And I pray Lord, that as we open up this passage, as we look at the truth in this passage, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd reveal to us all the more the truth of who Jesus is, that we might see him all the more clearly. And I ask that, Lord, in your mighty, glorious name. Amen. Amen. So these two passages, the seven verses at the start of John 9 and the seven verses at the end, they kind of bookend this man's story. And what we'll see is that Jesus uses the physical healing of this man to signpost something even bigger. So throughout John's Gospel, John refers to Jesus' miracles as signs. And they're signs because they point to something else. John shared the stories that he did to prove to readers from generation to generation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So we're going to look at this man's story in three parts today. We'll look at the healing because I think the physical healing in itself here is wonderful. I don't want to minimise the physical healing. Then we'll look at the fallout. We'll see that not everyone is happy about this man's healing. And then we'll look at the revelation, what Jesus reveals about who he is and how we can respond to that. So the healing, the fallout, and the revelation. So first of all, the healing. So Jesus and his disciples are on the road together. And This was often how Jesus trained his disciples. They'd be walking alongside Jesus and they'd see him stop and interact with people and they'd learn from how Jesus responded to these people. And Jesus would use these moments as training opportunities for his disciples. And here they come across this man who's been blind since birth. I just want you to imagine that for a moment. See, this man's blindness wasn't something that came on suddenly as a result of an accident. His sight hadn't deteriorated gradually through a condition that he had. This man had never been able to see. He'd never seen the faces of his parents. He'd never seen the smile of a friend. He'd never seen his own hands or his own body. He'd never seen the beauty of creation, the sun setting over the sea, or the night sky punctuated by billions of shining stars. All this man had ever known was darkness. And to be blind in that culture wasn't just to have the limitations of a physical condition, it was to experience shame and isolation. This man would have had no opportunities, no hope of employment and no social honour. And so every day would have been spent in a similar way, just sitting at the roadside begging. There was a stigma attached to this kind of suffering. And you see this in the question that the disciples ask Jesus. They say, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. And this was actually a very normal way of understanding suffering in Jewish culture at the time. If someone had a physical illness or a disability like this, then it must be the result of somebody's sin. Someone was to blame. And for the disciples, really, there were two options. Either the man himself had sinned, now he was blind since birth, so presumably he sinned in the womb, or it was his mum and dad's fault. The disciples are asking Jesus, who's to blame? And you know, we can scoff at this kind of thinking, but I wonder if we sometimes think in the same way. When we see suffering in our own lives or in the lives of people that we love, we can spend a lot of time on the why question. Why has this happened to me? Why is the person that I love most in the world suffering like this? Why us? Why me? Did we do something wrong? Is God somehow punishing me? Has God taken his eyes off of me? Does God not love me? And of course, as Christians, we do believe that on a general level, the suffering in the world came about as a result of human sin and rebellion. This world, and we know this, it's not how God created it to be. Suffering and injustice were not part of his original design. The suffering that we see and experience can, on a general level, be traced back to the fall. And we know too, don't we, that if we don't live in the way God designs us to live, then there can be suffering that comes as a natural consequence to that. But if we see someone suffering, and our response is to think, well, they must have done something particularly wrong, then we go beyond what the Bible teaches. In the Bible, in one year this week, we've been going through the book of Job, Book of Job is a hard book to read in, in lots of ways. Job was a man who experienced terrible suffering and loss. He experienced the, the loss of his kids, his property, his possessions. And his friends, in trying to comfort him, they just end up accusing him. It's like they're saying, he must have done something, Job, to make God angry with you, because he's punishing you like this. And by the end, Job's had enough, and he turns to them and he says, you are miserable comforters, all of you. And it's a pretty cruel way of understanding suffering, isn't it? It's incredibly self-righteous because what it assumes is that some people sin and some people don't. And it doesn't fit with the, the reality that we experience. We know that in our world, some not very nice people have very nice lives. And some of the nicest people that we know, some of the kindest people have incredibly tough lives. And so in the book of Job, God himself rejects this understanding of suffering. He says to Job's friends. I am angry with you because you've not spoken the truth about me. And here in John 9, Jesus rejects this thinking too. Notice Jesus' response to his disciples. He says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now Jesus, of course, isn't saying that this man or his parents were sinless people. There's no one apart from Jesus who's ever lived a sinless life. But he's saying that the man's blindness was not directly caused by individual sin. And actually, Jesus sees this man's suffering in an entirely different way. Not in terms of what is the cause, but what is the opportunity. And I think this is a much, much harder way of seeing suffering. I wonder, do we see our own suffering in that way? Are we able to say, not God, why is this happening to me? But God, what will you do through this? How will you use even this for your glory? And how will you use even this for our good? This is, this is Romans 8 stuff. Romans eight twenty eight says, We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And you know, we might know that passage. You might even be able to recite that passage. But to have the faith to think like that in the face of genuine suffering, to trust that God will use it for his glory and our goods, well, that takes, I think, incredible spiritual maturity. And that takes knowing the character of God. And that takes revelation of Jesus Christ. And then in this passage, Jesus does something weird. He does something really odd. We run prayer team training at King's. And as part of that, we teach our prayer team how to pray for the sick. And nowhere in our prayer team training manual will you find the method by which Jesus heals this man. So in verse 6, it says, After saying this, he spit on the ground, and he made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. And you can almost imagine the disciples' response. They're thinking, what are you doing, Jesus? What is Jesus doing here? Because the disciples have seen Jesus heal in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes Jesus would heal just with a word. He'd speak and a person would be healed. Or he'd speak and the dead would come back to life. Just with a command in authority. Sometimes Jesus would heal just with physical touch. Sometimes Jesus would heal people who aren't even present with him at the time. But here, he heals like this. I guess if you're the creator of the world, you can heal however you like. But maybe this healing isn't as random as we might think. I heard a preacher recently link the way that Jesus heals here to Genesis 2. Genesis 2 verse 7 describes how God created human beings in the first place. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And we don't know this for sure, but I wonder as Jesus breathes out and spits onto the ground and takes the mud off the ground and puts it on the man's eyes, it's almost like an act of recreation that Jesus is undoing the effects of the fall all the decreation that sin has brought into the world and restoring this man to how he was originally intended to be and then Jesus speaks to this man go Jesus told him wash in the pool of siloam which means sent so the man went and washed and came home seeing so I love this man's obedience Jesus speaks. And so this man goes and he washes and he sees. He's healed in this pool called sent. He's healed by the one who was sent from the Father. And now for the first time, this man who's never been able to see is aware of shapes and colour and contrast. I guess he hadn't even known the darkness he had been in because he'd never experienced the light before. And in itself, this is a wonderful story. This healing story, this healing moment is a wonderful story of Jesus moving in power and love. This man's life is changed in a moment through a real encounter with Jesus. What's not to like about this story? Well, according to this passage, there's plenty that's not to like. Let's take a look at the fallout that comes as a result of this healing. I didn't read the middle section of this story earlier, but if you've got your Bible open, just take a look at the middle of this Story in John 9. You'll see that this whole community is affected by this man's healing. And no one quite knows what to do with it. So first of all, you get the neighbours. They're people who've seen this man every day as he sat at the roadside begging. They'd walk past him as they went about their lives. And now this man can see. This man who's been blind since birth can see. And the only thing they can come up with And honestly, this is is their best explanation, is that this isn't even the same man. And you see this whole debate going on. Verse 9 says, some claimed he was. Some claimed he was the same man. Others said, no, he only looks like him. The man himself says, I am the man, it's me. And they ask him, how then were your eyes opened? And he replied, the man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. And the neighbours don't know what to do. So they take him to the Pharisees, the religious elite. And the Pharisees begin to interrogate this man. Same questions. Were you born blind? Yes, I was born blind. How is it that you can now see? This man Jesus put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. It's this whole circus of fallout that you get in response to this healing. They even get his parents involved. They bring in his mum and his dad. Is this your son? They ask. Is this the one you say was born blind? How can he now see? We know he's our son, they say. We know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age, he'll speak for himself. And the passage tells us that they did this out of fear. They knew that if they said that Jesus healed this man, they'd be thrown out of the synagogue. See, what Jesus did here disrupts people. And it's meant to, it disrupts this entire community and it's intentional. Jesus knew the effect that this healing would have on people, particularly the Pharisees. This, this healing isn't just a nice gesture. This was meant to disrupt people back then and it's meant to disrupt us as we read it today. If it doesn't, I think we've totally missed the point. See, the reason the Pharisees are so worked up is that Jesus did this on the Sabbath. In Jewish law, you cannot do this. You can't heal on the Sabbath. And the way that Jesus heals, kneading the mud and then putting it on the man's eyes, that is illegal on the Sabbath. Maybe that is why Jesus healed here in the way that he did. This is intentionally disruptive. This is King Jesus ushering in the kingdom of God. And what you see is, it's a wonderfully kind kingdom, isn't it? Where Jesus sees pain and suffering, he brings healing. Where he sees hopelessness, he brings hope. Where he sees shame and rejection, he brings welcome and grace. And where he sees legalism, he brings challenge. Can't heal on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for rest. The Sabbath is designed to heal us. And the Pharisees totally miss it. They're so obsessed with their laws that they miss who Jesus is. How about you? How about you? Because you can be in churches all of your life and totally miss it. If it's just religion, if it's just habit, if it's just something that you do on a Sunday, then you've missed it. I said at the start that um, Jesus has changed my life. Yes, (laughs) I grew up going to church. But it wasn't really until my early 20s that I saw who Jesus was. So there was a moment in my 20s where I was walking down the street in London, I was reading a book, um, and suddenly I saw my whole life in a new way. I saw things that I'd done to that point, ways that I'd upset people and hurt people. I suddenly saw the hurt that I'd caused. And I knew, of course, before this, before this point that, that I wasn't perfect, but now I saw it in a new way. And I experienced a grief at some of the ways I'd hurt people. And what I know now is that what the Holy Spirit was doing was the Holy Spirit was bringing revelation of my sin. He was bringing revelation of my sin. And I felt this grief. But that's not all the Holy Spirit revealed in that moment. In the same moment, I saw and I knew that I was personally forgiven for all these things. That actually when Jesus died on the cross, that it was for me. That he took my sin and my selfishness and and everything that I'd done wrong on himself so that I could be set free and I could be saved. And I felt and I experienced the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God for me. I felt it personally. I remember being in a lunchtime church service around this same time and the, the gospel was preached. And it was a message that I'd heard countless times before almost every Sunday, since I was very, very young. But now the gospel was preached, and I heard it in a totally new way. It became real for me. It moved me in a way that it hadn't before. And I saw in a new way, and I realised what I'd been missing all that time. Because when you've never seen the light before, you don't even know that you're in darkness. And I've had other moments like this along the way. Do you know, I'd love more. I love it when we worship and we really, really see Jesus. I'd love more moments like that. And I'd love to say that that every day since that first moment that I've seen Jesus more clearly. And that's just simply not true. Because sometimes I find it really hard to see Jesus. Sometimes because of the circumstances of life that come at you. Sometimes my vision of him becomes more foggy and blurred. But I know who Jesus is. How about you? Have you had that revelation of your sin and of God's grace? That is what happens when you come face to face with Jesus. And the Pharisees, they totally miss it. But I love how the man born blind responds. Because notice, this man's life doesn't get easier after he's been healed. In fact, in lots of ways, it gets harder. He gets interrogation from his neighbours and the Pharisees. He gets his own parents dropping him in it because they're scared of being thrown out of the synagogue. This man was blind, but now he can see. But all he can see are these angry faces just coming at him and challenging him and interrogating him. I love how this man responds. It's so simple. Do you know, he just tells his story. In the face of growing persecution, as the accusations against him get stronger and stronger, he just keeps on telling his story. It's so simple. You know, when we talk about blessed, this is the second S. It's story that we tell the story of what Jesus has done in our lives. That's what it is to be a witness. We don't have to have all the answers to the hardest questions that people ask us. In fact, several times in this story, this man says these three words that I think we often feel we're not allowed to say as Christians. He says, I don't know. I don't know where this man is or who he is. I don't know if he's a sinner. But one thing I do know is I was blind, but now I see. And in fact, as this story goes on, this man grows in courage. I love this. By verse 27, After being asked the same question over and over again, he says, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? I love it. Of all the the evangelists in history, this guy is one of my favorite. I'm rooting for this guy by the end. He's so bold, he's so brave, he's so courageous. And you know, it doesn't go well for this man. By the end, he's thrown out of the synagogue. And where before he faced shame and rejection because of his blindness, now he's thrown out and rejected because he witnesses for Jesus. That is the fallout of this story. So what about the revelation? Well, what we learn from this story is that there's more than one way to see. There's our physical sight, of course. There's what we see with our eyes, but there's also a deeper and more profound kind of sight too. So, this chapter ends with Jesus bringing this brutal, stinging challenge to the Pharisees about what true blindness looks like. He says, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying there's a much worse kind of blindness than physical blindness. He's saying that if you think that by your own works, by your own strength, by being a morally good person, that you can earn your way into the kingdom of God, that is what real blindness is. Because you've missed the extent of your own sin, and you've missed the wonder of who Jesus is and what he came to do for you. Paul writes, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, real sight is to have our eyes open to that reality, is to have revelation of our sin and revelation of the wonderful grace of God. See, the gospel comes in and disrupts and challenges and reverses everything. And what that means is that some of the most brilliant people by the world's standards, some of the most intelligent people, some of the most successful people, some of the most prosperous people by this world's standards are walking in total blindness. Tim Keller says the worst kind of blindness is to be blind to your own blindness. You know, if you've never seen the light, you don't even know you're in darkness. And meanwhile the youngest child, or someone with limited learning capacity, or someone on the fringes of society who has grasped the gospel, who has the humility to see what Jesus has done for them, they're the ones who can really see. Do you see how kind that is? You know, we live in an incredibly unkind world. There's so much suffering and injustice and hardship, but the gospel is so kind And it might sound disruptive, but God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. Because this is the God who takes crucifixion, the darkest and most brutal instrument of execution, and he uses it to bring life and light and hope to the world. If you don't know Jesus as your personal saviour, I want to invite you this morning to ask God for revelation of who he is. So ask God for revelation of your own sin and revelation of his grace. He wants to bring spiritual sight this morning where there's currently blindness. So what of our friend, the man born blind? Well, this man went on a journey of seeing Jesus more clearly. And you see this even just from the names that he calls Jesus throughout this story. So at the start of this story, he calls him the man called Jesus Later, he calls him a prophet. But by the end, Jesus approaches this man again, and then we see clearly how this man sees. It says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Isn't that lovely, by the way, that Jesus goes and finds this man, that Jesus went looking for this man? It says, Jesus went and found him. Jesus had already healed this man. But this man wasn't a project to Jesus. He goes to find him. You know, the man born blind doesn't just have one encounter with Jesus in this story. He has two. And actually, I believe that God wants to say to some of you here today, he wants wants more encounters with you. This was never meant to be a one-off thing. It wasn't just that he saved you in the past or he healed you in the past and now you're to go and live your life on your own. Jesus says to his disciples, I'll never leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. And he fills you with his Holy Spirit. And we can know the presence of God in everything we're facing. Maybe you're facing particular suffering or persecution right now. I believe Jesus comes to find you and he wants to meet with you again this morning and to show you again his kindness and his goodness. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus says to him. Who is he, sir? the man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. This man falls at Jesus' feet and worships him. He has seen enough to realise who Jesus is. And in the disorientation and the isolation and the hardship that he still faces, this man worships. See, that's the response when you see who Jesus is. It is to worship. And not just with our singing, which we'll do again in a moment, but to worship with our whole lives. Why? Because he's worthy of our worship. And you know, as we worship, it heals our spiritual blindness all the more. As we sing truth about Jesus, the Holy Spirit brings revelation of who He is. And we realize again, just how worthy He is of our whole lives. of given our whole lives to follow Him and worship Him. That is what real sight is. It's when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to Jesus. John tells these stories in his gospel so that we may see who Jesus is. This is what John says right at the start of his gospel about Jesus. He says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That is the invitation that Jesus brings, to be adopted into the family of God with the most wonderful heavenly Father who never, ever takes his eyes off of you. So as we come into land, how's your spiritual sight this morning? Who do you say Jesus is? Through the hardship and the injustice and the suffering and the darkness of this world, do you see Jesus? Do you need a fresh encounter with him this morning? Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the light of the world. And the Holy Spirit is longing to bring you revelation again, to open all of our eyes to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. So let's come. Let's come to him this morning, hungry to meet with him again. Amen? Amen. Amen. Nicholas.